This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. In 2008, a podcast was created with one goal. To bring Bat fans around the world news related to movies, comics, video games, television, merchandise, and so much more. And now, the Batman Universe Podcast has returned. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the TV Podcast. Today I am joined by... Almost all of our uh, hosts, uh, BJ, Adel, and Scott, are here, and we are talking about the good and the bad of Batman Hush. Um, but we also have a new segment that I'm going to be introducing as well. Um, but before we get into all of that, uh, what's what's new, guys? I mean, I haven't actually been on with a lot of you in quite some time. Um, it's been very hectic and busy. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of been a whirlwind the last two months, so... There's, you know, we've had, we had people over too in the middle of October. So that also threw a wrench in things, but, um, you know, a lot of between juggling reviews and the new job and doing some interviews, it's been kind of a crazy, exhausting, but rewarding, you know, last month or two. Yeah. No, real quick before I hear from the other two, uh, out of all the interviews recently that uh, we've we've released, which one uh, would you strongly suggest fans to check out? Um, I would say the so I'm kind of torn between a couple of them. So the webtoon ones I think is really fun for the Red Hood Outlaw series, but the Batman the animated series top themes was a really fun one to put together and you know we talk about we each have our own top five lists on that one and so and we talk a lot about music outside of those 10 we picked so it's more of a kind of like a love listen to batman animated series all right all right guys uh what's what's been up with the other two the the other my other guys the usual the usual me just kind of playing out the string to get to Thanksgiving break. Yeah. So that's all I'm, all I'm doing. Yeah, it's been, I mean, stuff's been very busy for me. Um, I, I finished a master's degree. Uh, my graduation's next week. Uh, I flew cross-country for a trip to visit family. My grandmother's actually moving house, and she's going to be moving to the other opposite coast. So there's a lot of planning that goes into that as well. Uh, so, yeah, and also I've been looking for a, a new job, so... There's just been so much going on lately. Yeah. So, and I can say myself, one of the reasons uh, we started doing the interviews has been I've been slammed with uh, a new business that I've launched, and it is extremely busy. But uh, we have somehow, all, almost all of us, uh, Hanan is the only one who is not here with us today, but we have, uh, we're have we all back to talk about Batman Hush. Um 
But before we get into Batman Hush, uh, any big news that has happened over the past week? Uh, there really hasn't been any, surprisingly. Um, but we are one week removed from James Gunn um, taking over as DC Studio co-CEO and co-chairman of DC Studios. And uh, that brings us to our new segment. Um, if you are familiar with James Gunn, you are well aware that he is very active on social media. And because he's very active on social media, he tends to post things or talk about things um, that most executives might not necessarily find time to be able to discuss. Um, so uh, the new segment is called Gun Watch, and we're going to be watching James Gunn as he kind of gives little hints and uh, hopes of what we can expect in the future. Um, so this time around on the Gun Watch, we are talking about a couple of posts. Uh, the first one, I believe we mentioned it last week when I was on with BJ talking about Black Adam, but uh, day one of James Gunn being in office, let's say, um, was him posting a picture of Superman. So we can assume that, uh, obviously, with the recent news that Henry Cavell is coming back as Superman, uh, he has that full on his mind as well. Um, also, there was an article that posted up at uh, Variety. Unfortunately, it was behind a paywall, so you're probably not going to find it uh, very easily. But it was called Why Warner Brothers Discovery uh, Gun Grab is Crucial for DCC. We're not the only ones who can use the uh, the gun pun as, as, uh, possible, uh, as a possibility. But uh, basically, the article was very, very straightforward. It just basically said that Zaslav, uh, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, he, it was very important for him to make a impact on whoever he chose to lead DC Studios, and James Gunn, because of his prior um, prior involvement with Marvel Studios as well as uh, his friendship with Kevin Feige, uh, it was a good choice, but also important because he's very creative and he has a, a desire to you know really utilize characters that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily consider characters to you know, to use in the mainstream. So if you happen to see the, the, the article, there's that, that's basically it. Um, there is ways around it. I'm not going to tell you those ways, but there are definitely ways around paywalls. If you're interested in checking it out, I will be providing a link in the show description. Um, the next one was more interesting. This was a tweet that he sent out, James Gunn sent out, and it said, opened up Twitter at the end of a long creative weekend to see many tweets to hashtag save legends of tomorrow and hashtag release the air cut and fan support for other DC projects over the years. The majority of these requests were enthusiastic and respectful. As the new and first ever CEOs of DC Studios, Peter and I think it's important we acknowledge you, the fans, and let you know we hear your different desires for the pathways forward for DC. Although our ability to interact on Twitter has been lessened due to the workload of our new positions, we are listening and open to everything as we embark on this journey, and will continue to do so for the next few years. But our initial focus is on the story going forward, hammering out the new DCU and telling the biggest story ever told across multiple films, television shows, and animated projects. We all invite... We invite all of the DC fandoms from across the multiverse and everyone else as well into this new universe. We can't wait to re reveal more. So, um, as as this comes out, um, I can say that 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 fully cements 
any of the previous projects that uh, were on the table, I don't think they're going to be concerning themselves with. And I say that thinking I don't necessarily believe that any of those projects need to be picked back up. I know that there's fans for... Uh, the Air Cuts or Legends of Tomorrow or some of the other shows on CW that have been canceled, but I don't think that is what someone who is trying to create a future for a studio is is should be focusing on. That is not what they should be focusing on at all. They should be focusing on new content, new new things to bring to fans and get new fans into the the as he puts it, the multiverse or just into the DC universe as a whole. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I guess I read it that way too. It's you know, it, it would it would look really silly if they had a new team in there and one of their first directives was to, you know, save the A or cut and just rehash a movie that already came out and add an extra 10, 15 minutes of footage to it and call it a day, you know, and I would I feel like would send a horrible message of, hey, we're just you know, finishing up these last few things that you're used to and that most people overwhelmingly don't like before we jump into something new and they need to you know as new executives come in there with something fresh and different and off the beaten path of what we've seen yeah it was smart to kind of get the fans on his side in a way and be respectful and not kind of not kind of dump on like Legends of Tomorrow, be like laugh it off, saying "Oh, this is never coming back." Saying like, be respectful. The fans are respectful, asking for it. Same with the air cut. Like, I'm kind of tired of all these type of cuts, especially the air cut. I don't know what's what that's going to provide. There's one more Joker scene in it. Thanks, awesome. But uh, yeah, and so yeah, it's good to get the fans on your side there, and looking forward to seeing what's come. Yeah, I'm, I'm perhaps maybe not the the best person because my my um my interest is like so low at this point um but i think as bj said it is good to get the fans uh on their side or to put out that type of messaging but at the same time i think like the focus needs to be on you know new projects instead of looking back they need to be looking forward i agree and it's interesting because if it was like a temporary thing like We've talked about this at great length about you know the last couple of years and the direction that DC has been doing. It feels like they've just been you know walking towards something, but there's no clear direction. There's no clear way to get there. There's no there's nothing. There's nothing whatsoever. It's just we're, they're they're moving forward in whatever way they can and. Knowing that there's somebody that's going to be in charge, um, that's not to say I am like 100% all in on James Gunn and let's let's see what he can do and blah blah blah. Like I I, I want to see what he can do. I believe that he can do a good job, um, but I still think that there are levels of we have to see more of what he can do before I could fully say like yes, this is the greatest decision in the world. Um, I like the creative aspect of where he comes from and things like that. As I mentioned last week when I was talking with BJ, like I like the idea of Peter Safran being the co-chairman and CEO as well because I like the idea of there being two people, one from the creative side and one from the business side. But I, I am really curious to see how this all plays out because even when you look at Kevin Feige 
They started off with just the movies. That's really what he was doing. And yeah, there was a couple of shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And there was some other things. But he wasn't involved with like the Netflix shows. Um, he wasn't involved with some of the other... There was a bunch of animated projects at one point that were being created for Hulu. He wasn't involved with that stuff. Um, and he really wasn't brought into the television stuff until they started creating television content for Disney+. Plus. So it's interesting because this is kind of like jumping forward and I don't say this I, I don't say this in a way where I, I understand how this is going to come across but let's look at what DC has done in the past when they take a situation and try to do it just better than Marvel um, they haven't exactly had the best luck so I'm hoping that it, it works out very well and like I said before it's going to be interesting to see what they could actually put together in just four years but Knowing that at least they're getting hitting the ground running, he's he makes a mention about having creative meetings in this in this first weekend that he's you know actually in the role. So that's that's great to see. So there's that. Now the next one, I can't guarantee that these two things have to go together, but they happen to come out around the same time. So there's an interview done with Jason Momoa um, with Entertainment Tonight. And he was asked about, you know, James Gunn and like what he thinks about DC. And he just kind of smiled and said, you know, like one of my, my, my dream projects is actually going to be happening. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Now that's not to say that it's a project that he's involved in or it's a project that he has anything to do with other than he just is part of the DC universe. But conveniently around the same time as this interview broke this morning, there was a post from James Gunn. Um, he jumped onto the new social media website, uh, Mastodon, and posted a picture of Lobo. Now, I, like I said, I cannot say for sure that they have anything to do with each other, but it was just interesting timing how it happened. Yeah, I mean, like, that's... It is interesting timing. It, it just raises more questions for me, because... You know, Lobo in what context? You know, is this going to be more of like a cosmic Suicide Squad slash Guardians of the Galaxy stylistic type of thing? Or, you know, is Lobo going to appear as a villain somewhere against another hero? I don't like it's just it's hard to say because that character kind of gets used, you know, in a variety of different ways. I think uh, the character of Lobo, it's very interesting that James Gunn uh, tweeted that because I think the character of Lobo, how he's typically portrayed in comics and in uh, animated uh, adaptations like Young Justice, for example, I think it totally fits James Gunn's um, style to movie making. I think that's like right up his alley to use that character. Aquaman vs. Lobo, that would be, uh, be quite an interesting the, twist. Quite, yeah. yeah, I don't think that Lobo's bike can go underwater, but who knows? Maybe James Gunn can, or whoever's in charge can figure it out. But yeah, like you said, um, Lobo's right up the James Gunn alley. He can be X-rated. He can hit every note that James Gunn likes to hit. And he's a fan favorite for, I mean, he was huge in the 90s, Lobo. Not so much really... Uh, anymore like this is hearing this tweet is the first i've thought of lobo in forever when but yeah i think he's lobo does have his like hardcore fan base so i'm sure they could turn him into like their version of deadpool in a in a sense when i whenever i see him in the comments which is rare but 
is when he does appear, I still always read him in Brad Garrett's voice from the 90s Superman cartoon. Absolutely. You have to. <laughs> All right. So with that, that is the end of uh, Gun Watch this time around. And uh, we're going to jump into our main topic which is the good and the bad of Batman Hush. So this year, uh, specifically last month, marked the 20th anniversary of the release of Batman Hush. And we're not talking about the animated project, which obviously exists. Uh, we are, in fact, talking about the comic book story that uh, inspired the animated project. Um, but the comic released, um, if you are unfamiliar, Jeff Loeb was the writer on the, the story, and uh, Jim Lee did the art. And... Most of the art that you have probably ever seen that you know as Jim Lee's art probably is art that you that comes from this story. Um, some of the most iconic pieces of art from Jim Lee are from this story. Him standing on top of the gargoyle, um, the huge shot of the Bat family, the huge shot of the rogues gallery. There's a lot of different... Pieces of art that are very, very famous for being in this story. So what we're going to be talking about here is the good and the bad. So we're going to start off with a good thing. And like I said, let's talk about the Jim Lee art because that is obviously something that is great and is very well liked. Uh, I mean, to this day, there's still pieces of merchandise that have that art 20 years later. There's still... Uh, action figures. I mean, McFarlane Toys has been releasing some Batman Hush, uh, you know, figures that are based off of the work of Batman Hush. It's kind of crazy how that storyline, out of all the comic book stories, um, in you know, from the past couple decades, have has resonated so well. So, what's your guys' thought on the art? I mean, I feel like everybody loves Jim Lee, and there's a very good reason for it, and. I love, you know, the art. I really love, you know, especially the designs of, like, Scarecrow, um, you know, and Harley Quinn. But, like, Jim Lee is just kind of one of those, I feel like, one of those top-tier artists where there's this balance of, you know, I feel like frenetic action with, you know, these kind of, like, breathtaking, you know, shots, whether he's doing close-ups or long shots or whatever it is he's doing. You know, it's just it's just one of those, I feel like, name brand artists at this point where, you know, there really isn't much bad to say. Yeah, on the Mount Rushmore of artists, um, Jim Lee has to definitely be on there, top four. I mean, the first time I, I saw Batman Hush, I was flipping through it, and that's what drew me into this right away, just looking at the the pages and seeing all the villains, the big splash pages of Batman and Nightwing running across the rooftop. So yeah, that's what drew me in right away. I definitely, that's probably the biggest selling point of this book uh, is the art. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, it goes without saying anyone who's picked up a Batman comic or is a fan of Batman comics or comics in general knows uh, who Jim Lee is. Um, I, and when I say this, I want the listeners to understand that Hush, the the, the graphic novel, is one of my favorite uh, Batman graphic novels. So uh, take this uh, criticism, perhaps with a grain of salt. But um, I would I would suggest that this this story I just reread it today for the first time in a long time, perhaps would not be seen as so iconic if it didn't have this art. 
I actually think that the art is a is a large part of what makes it so special and and, and makes it part of like you know the top makes it part of those top ten lists we see for you know Batman comics. Um, it is kind of very like um, in terms of, the art's amazing, but just in terms of like how. Um, in terms of like action sequences, how characters are sort of positioned and and drawn, it is kind of very mid two thousands in in that way. And I don't mean that as a as a criticism. It's just it's that was typical of that era, and you can kind of see it. So it's kind of nice in a way to see something very different from uh, what we see now in like twenty twenty, for example. But yeah, all around, I just I love the art in the book. Yeah, I will agree that the, the art does propel this onto those top ten lists. A lot of the times, and honestly, when you look at a lot of the really popular Batman stories from, I say the last three decades specifically because you don't, you can't really think of like huge major Batman stories um, outside of like Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight Returns, and Batman Year One in the eighties. Most of the stories aren't very big stories; they're not huge arcs and things like that. But starting in the nineties, there was a lot of arcs and things like that. So, out of the when you think about the top ten list, a lot of the stories that will appear in the top ten will have a artist doing everything. Um, you look at Batman Dark Victory or Batman. Long Halloween, Tim Sale does all the art, and it might not be your necessarily your cup of tea, but he does the art, and the art is well is done well for those those stories. So there's definitely that I definitely agree with that that idea that the story itself. Now that takes us to the bad side. So the bad side of this is the is in fact the story. So we get the introduction of this character Hush, which I'll bring back up later on. But the entire story is kind of like. A who's who's or who's who of the Batman universe, and they have very, very little page time or screen time or however you want to put it. The all the classic villains, you know, make very quick appearances, but there there's not a whole lot of focus on them. And Hush gets this huge focus, but then at the end of the story, there's this huge swerve where Hush has actually been working for somebody behind the scenes. And to put that in perspective, that's like saying like Bane was actually working for somebody else during like you know during nightfall it's just that that's crazy but that's what happens and the so the story itself is not necessarily a bad story i don't think it's a bad story i think the problem is that it it tries to hit so many notes because what it it is seemingly attempting to do is trying to bring in fans the first couple issues are a little bit slow it picks up and i think the reason for that is that this story was like calculatedly put together to have people talk about it be like holy crap look at this art that jim lee's doing in this batman book this story is introducing this new character people immediately start picking it up and then the sales keep going up and up and up as time goes on because more and more people are talking about the issue and then more and more stuff happens as the story goes on i i mean i agree i think so i have a couple of thoughts on this. For one, I do think it's like a gateway Batman book. You know, it's it's that it's I mean, you know, like you said, it's littered with like fan service and just things that people recognize that maybe they haven't read a lot of Batman, but they're kind of curious and they want to dip their toes in. And so, you know, this is definitely a great book for that. It hits all their favorites. But I also I did reread it again today and also 
you know, it's hard to say because I read this when it first came out in issue format. And, you know, reading it, you know, as a collected volume now, you know, and I've read it as a collected volume a couple of times over the year, but it's like a different experience. And I think it might have played a little bit better if you had been there, you know, getting those issues as they came out on the stands, because then you're not so inundated with like all these cameos, like right away, if you're reading it in an hour or two, you know, sitting in your house, you know, you're, you have to wait a long time. And then it's just like, Oh man, the scarecrow's in this one. Oh, Oh no. Like, you know, Joker, you know, like that Joker issue, you know, is, is, really intense and it's the paneling i think is done really well with the pacing and the tension and everything but you know kind of smacked together in in a collected volume it it, you really you know get hit with a lot of like that fan service and 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 like you said like the plot you know like i guess the clues are are there like there are references to those things earlier that you're not paying attention to until you get to the big you know, swerve, but they're kind of done in a way that honestly reminds me of um, Tom King style in the sense that, you know, it's more of withholding of information than really planting that many clues. You know, it's just, it's playing that game. It kind of reminds me, you know, this, this idea of Batman being distracted too. Also, you know, now that it's 2022 reminds me a lot of you know, the lead up to City of Bane, too, where, you know, you have this whole thing with Catwoman and Selina. And, and you know, at the time when Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee did it, it was really, you know, it was refreshing. And now it's kind of been done to death. But, you know, now that I've seen people ape it a little bit, it, it you know, I noticed that where it's just it's less clues and more like, well, you're just kind of withholding and giving me some cameos and then you're just going to tie it all together at the end. and it's not exactly a mystery that can be solved. And, you know, going back to that swerve for, you know, a final comment on it is I feel like you had to have that in there just because the identity of hush is pretty obvious in the beginning. I think, you know, like, Oh, this person is coming back after, you know, it was such a long time. Oh, this guy, you know, like I feel like it might actually play worse without that. I don't know, but it, I I would agree that it's not done in a way where you know the swerve is is it's is rough around the edges. I'll put it that way. Yeah, it's funny how you mentioned how this was kind of like a gateway. Like this was the story that kind of got me back into comics. Like I remember like I had my all my old comics as a kid but then kind of just fall off and then I saw this um on a field trip actually uh to new york to see rent and i was in like a sam goody or strawberries or something it was on the rack and i opened up and saw that art and then i bought it read it on the way home the whole thing and it did kind of when the swerve happened i was like oh riddler finally made like a big move not just kind of it was like riddler that riddler finally did something and I guess, like, if I was more seat, like, a more of a seasoned comic book reader, like, I probably could have noticed that Hush was Tommy Ellie all along, this random guy coming up. And I didn't know. I thought I was confused. Like, did Riddler have cancer, and was that in a previous story? But I didn't know. But yeah, I was really, I was happy that the Riddler kind of got his own kind of win so to say 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna make it three for three because I had that in my notes as well. That this is a, a good book for uh, beginners, uh, not just because of all the cameos, but also because um, with each cameo, there's a very basic sort of background narration about who this person is, what they do, what their relation is to Batman, and that's kind of like repeated throughout the story. And for someone who like all of us, I'm just, like when we read it, it's like, oh, I already know this. You don't need to tell tell me this every few pages. But for a beginner, it's a really good way for them to to get into it. Um, I I agree with uh, with Scott's points as well. Is that um, a lot of the plot points in the mystery do feel very contrived? Like it just it feels like they want it to happen just because oh, I need to use this character. And it was interesting because it actually kind of reminded me a bit of like. Um, there was a lot of plot points in, in this that I thought were kind of used in previous stories. So for example, the Batman versus Superman fight that was used in Dark Knight Returns, uh, the Harvey Dent getting his face healed and, you know, his new personality possibly returning. That was also in Dark Knight Returns, if I remember correctly. And then this whole idea of Batman having to go through a, like a gauntlet of the Rose, Rose Gallery. That's kind of the idea of Nightfall. Um, if I, I haven't read it in a while, but that's kind of the idea of Nightfall as well. So it's really just reusing a lot of the themes that have been successful before. Um, and, I mean... I think that's part of the reason that that makes it so popular in a way because nostalgia like really resonates with people. Um, but I think that's also a reason why perhaps on you know uh, a second read years later it doesn't seem to resonate that much with, with you. Um, the other thing too, <laughs> uh, Scott mentioned reading it in 2022 and comparing it to stuff we have now. I just want to compliment the book because. It's, I, I think, 12 issues, right? Uh, 12 issues in this in this thing. And it's one artist. They got it all done. In, 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 this, in this era, I mean, you got, like, uh, delays and you got another artist coming on. And when you read it in trade form, it doesn't kind of flow as nicely as this. So I just want to mention that as well. It's interesting because when you look at this, that, that was almost like the last major story that didn't have to have delays because after that time frame we went into like years of delay 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 whenever it came to any major story any major book that they were doing anything that was huge had its fair share of delays they tried to you know fix that with the new 52 and it worked for a while but eventually they had to start doing things where artists would take an issue or two off or um artists would have fill-in people helping them and stuff like that. And that's not to say that it happens all the time it, it, or for every single series, it doesn't. But I will say that it, it you, this is one of the ones that it's surprisingly how it works out because especially it'd be different if this was a, uh, like a mini series that they could have worked on years in advance, but it wasn't, it was a, it was in the main Batman title. And that's what makes it so unique is that is it Jim Lee like notoriously slow too? Oh, absolutely, like, he, like, yeah. And I think more impressive. I think honestly, he probably was working on this probably for a while before it actually started publishing, but not like he would work on anything else out there. Like 
nowadays if he was to do something you're lucky if he you know like if you hear about a project that he potentially is working on and it's not a cover of a a book then chances are you're not going to see it for at least a couple years if you ever see it at all i mean it's just how it goes um not that he's doing a lot of interior work in comic books at this point now anyway but i remember the next project that he was really attached to was the all-star batman and robin and that was famously horribly delayed and still we have yet to see a conclusion to that series because i mean i guess it takes like 10 years to do you know half a book or whatever we're waiting another 10 years before we get the next book but you can take that time on that one no yeah no. yeah there isn't a rush on that one but i mean like that's that's what i'm saying like it, it's it's weird because it's like they went into this mindset of like, well, the art is important, and because it's important, it doesn't even matter if we get the issues out, whether or not. But as pointed out here, this was not like that at all. So clearly, either he was working on it ages in advance, and I'm sure there's an interview out there that he talks about it. I just am not familiar with it. But um, all right, so let's talk. There was a, a couple things that popped up when you guys were talking Um, let's talk about Batman Catwoman because this is like kind of the introduction of their potential relationship, but at the same point, it's also a bad because they don't actually pull the trigger and it goes, it's like the full Tom King story of 50 issues in, in less than a couple of issues here, um, where, you know, will they, won't they? And then no, they're definitely not in, in very, very short for, in a very short amount of time. So Batman Catwoman, what did you guys think of the kind of the idea of the relationship of the two of them, but then also kind of the downfall of it just not being able to happen and subsequently not being able to happen over the longer period of time because for the exact same reasons? That's hard. So the hard, I think the hard thing with that is if I'm going to talk about the relationship in that book, I have to put myself in my, in my, I have to put myself in my brain 20 years ago and I was like all on board for this. I thought it was great. Like I, I really wanted to see this happen. And I think a large part of that is because of like media things like Batman returns. Like if I'm being honest, like that was just, you know, natural progression. I wanted to see this, you know, looking back, it's still nice to see now it's kind of like, you know, in, in 2022, it's this, I don't know. It's, it's complicated because you know at dc they're doing to batman and catwoman what marvel loves to do with peter parker and mary jane it says will they won't they they're together for a little while uh, they're away you know they're with other people whatever i don't know it's kind of i guess the reason why i have to put myself in my brain you know 20 years ago is because now it's kind of old hat and you know we've been around the block quite a few times with this and it's it's it just feels very much the same the only thing that really you know popped up recently that was different were those like elseworld future tales that like tom king was working on where like they were you know bruce and selena were old and married you know and that was fresh but otherwise it's kind of just you know forever the will they won't they you know yeah so i really like um their relationship in this and they have some like iconic moments like that kiss on the train in metropolis and I like that little kind of like a mini story where Catwoman's talking to Alfred in the cave and like Alfred tells her like how much uh, she means to Bat- to Bruce and stuff and things like that. And I, I do like the way it ends where um, they kind of 
like she walks away from because she says hush and it's paranoid batman at his finest kind of questioning like if she was part of it all along so i really i i think that kind of that ending was kind of earned to kind of put set the status quo back like the way it was like the way it would have been 20 years ago like for the next issue so i am a huge fan of that happening i think uh that was one of the reasons why i was always kind of defending um tom king's run because i think uh that was such a central part of it um obviously this is the the first time i encountered that sort of dynamic and i think uh dc needs to just pick a side with this and because you know as much as i'm uh you know a fan and proponent of that sort of relationship happening um I'm sick of the will they, won't they? And you can only do that for so long before everyone is sick of it. It's just like, okay, either you're not going to do it or you're going to do it. Like, like just, just pick a side here. Um, and so I, I really do wish they'd do that. As far as, you know, it, in the dynamic in, in this story, um, I think they were written reasonably well. Um, and I think uh, I like that it was, uh, a lot of it was based on, you know, them figuring out how to trust each other and that kind of thing. Um, as far as the ending goes, uh, I agree with BJ, uh, Paranoid Batman. If you are, if you are going to end, have it end, I think that's the way to do it. Um, but what I didn't like about the ending is that his reasons for being paranoid don't really seem as solid as they usually are for Batman. It's just like, oh, well, maybe she was manipulated. But all the other, all the other things, he finds like some sort of concrete evidence to show, okay, this is this is what happened. He found that thing in his at the base of his skull and had Superman burn it out, kind of thing. So there's always like some concrete evidence that box, for example, the subliminal box that was in the Batcave. But with this, there was no sort of actual evidence. It just seems like, okay, we need to do this because editorial doesn't want us to go forward with this. So let's just throw it out there that it, it didn't work. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate part that seems to keep popping up every time someone decides they want to hint at these two getting together. Um, all right, so. I guess I, I I will leave this up to you guys on whether or not this is a good or a bad. But so this story introduced the idea, not the return, but the idea of Jason Todd returning. And I think at the time when the the story came out and I was reading it, I kept thinking to myself, "Wow, I never really thought they would ever bring Jason Todd back." And then the story didn't actually bring Jason Todd back. Now. Jason Todd did end up returning a few years later, um, and it was almost like this was like a trial run to decide whether or not fans would accept this character back or not. And if so, then they could proceed down the line of bringing him back, and if not, then they would just leave him dead. But what did you? How, how do you guys feel about Jason Todd popping up in this? Obviously, like I said, it's not Jason Todd; it's Clayface, but. The idea of Jason Todd being included in a story that ultimately, again, is uh, is like a red herring for everything going on in, within the mystery of the story. I love it, and I think the thing I really like about it is um, the way they play it, where Clayface doesn't really know the, who the hell Jason Todd is. He's just kind of doing his role, and so like it's it's his best guess, you know, at this performance. And so, like, for people who know who Jason Todd is, there's, like, that secret knowledge you have when you're reading it, you know, versus someone who's using this as a gateway book, and they really only know what the pages tell them about Jason Todd. So, you know, 
I, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I just I think it was done in a way that you know catered to both of those sides really well, and you know, obviously, you know, it was kind of testing the waters. Well, a lot of things in this book kind of tested the waters. I feel like after you know this book, a lot of the things that it introduced kind of became mainstays in the DC universe, not just Jason Todd, but Hush like was popping up everywhere for a while. And, you know, we just talked about the Batman Catwoman relationship and, you know, it was, you know, there's a, a lot from this that really kind of cemented, you know, what people know and want from like Batman. Yeah. Seeing um, Jason Todd pop up in this kind of blew my mind. The first time I saw it, uh, that was a big selling point for me. I love his, um, his little like hush inspired Robin suit. Uh, he's got the R and uh yeah it almost it is kind of a a good and bad because it's good in this book but then bad because it opened up a little door for under the red hood which is a great story too and then that door the floodgates just opened and now there's red hood everywhere and he's in the video game and he's seven feet tall and he's jacked out of his mind but uh yeah so i love i love that little fight scene and how batman's figuring it out like he Clayface can't copy Tim Drake because he's too recent. Uh, so he would copy Dick Grayson and he's doing like the acrobatic moves. And I like the line in it where he says, um, bottom line, Jason was never this good. Like, I like that line. Uh, that's one of my favorite lines in the book. So, yeah, I would say it's a good and a bad good for this story. Bad for what we ended up getting. Yeah, I think it was, as BJ was saying, it's done very well in this book. Um, and I think that's one of the better uh, moments of Batman sort of being a detective in real time during a fight. Uh, it's one of the better examples, I think, is him figuring out that, okay, this is not Jason. It's a it's a pretender. Um, I do, if, I, if I remember correctly from when I read Under the Red Hood, and I, I have only read it once a long time ago, I think what they said in in sort of in retrospect was that Jason was actually in this like that yeah, was they actually, switch. Yeah, they yeah. switched. So like yeah. it was it was actually Jason for part of this fight. And then Clayface sort of switches with him at, at one point. So, um, I mean, that's classic comics, right? They're just going back and everyone does it. I mean, Star Wars does it. Everyone does it. Um, so I think it's and I think the, the decision to bring Jason back was kind of a good one uh because obviously it generated a lot of uh you know uh, what was the word i'm looking for publicity and uh also you know it's, it never hurts to bring back an extra an extra character i think especially one who was you know originally part of the bat family um but the i guess the downside of it is that uh and this is perhaps a criticism of comics as a whole is that we kind of are stuck in this this uh, this mode where you know death doesn't really mean anything and just characters just keep coming back and so it loses sort of the the weight of like when i think when jason came back like there was a it was a big deal because like okay he's he's coming back this is a big thing but now like characters come back every every other day almost so i don't know if it, it would be as meaningful if something like that happened today well it's interesting you say that because we've got alfred dead right now and he conveniently popped back up in Batman vs. Robin, only to disappear yet again. Um, that's not to say he won't stay dead, but he's probably the most recent death as part of the Bat family that it, you, you you have to imagine in your mind that it's only a matter of time before he actually comes back. But 
the the last one that I want to talk about is is Hush as a character. Now, for me, it's an interesting one because it's it's a bad, but I know that there are people. Some of you might be like this, but I know there are people who think that Hush is a very interesting character. Um, I Hush does not seem like. How do I put this? Hush, the idea of Hush and the way the story presents Hush is a very interesting villain. But when you find out that Hush is just a lackey for the Riddler by the end of the story, you realize that he's not as like intelligent as you would expect. He's not really a challenge for Batman as, as you would you you anticipate. He's not really the one who is orchestrating this entire thing. You know, similar to the way that Bane orchestrated all of the rogues in Nightfall and things like that. It's not that at all. And I feel like the story sets this character up to be this, like, really good, great villain. And then it just completely misses the landing horribly. Um, I think the intent was there to, like, establish this character. But then the lasting impact of the character is the problem that I have. So after Batman Hush happened... Um, it was only a couple years later that we started the Batman Universe podcast and the Batman Universe comic podcast. And one of the the ongoing things that came up in the early years of the, the comic podcast was Hush always had to be around. There was always a reason for Hush to be around. It was like they were establishing the character as like this great classic villain, even though the character had been around for less than 10 years. And it didn't make a lot of sense. And the New 52 happened, and we didn't really see a whole lot of Hush. But I will say, before the New 52, Hush was everywhere. He was literally plastered all over the place. He was popping up in in one book that had, you know, the Gotham City Sirens. He was popping up in another book, which was uh, Gotham... I can't remember the name. It was Paul Dini's book. But he was popping up everywhere. Paul Dini wrote a story, Heart of Hush, with Catwoman and Hush. It was... He just kept popping up, and it was like they they really wanted to make this character happen. And I'm not saying the character can't happen, but I felt like because this story was as popular as it was, people sometimes forget, especially if you haven't read this story for a very long time, that this character was not that great when it's all said and done at the end of this story, in my opinion. Um but they kept trying to use the character over and over again, and it just did not work. And I remember there was like this joke um, in the early years of the comic podcast where every time a new story arc was coming up, we would say like, oh, well, it's only a matter of time before Hush pops up because he just seemingly popped up all over the place. So like, I don't mind the idea of Hush, but I feel like he does need to be reworked. So the thing that excites me the most about the lasting impact of the character is like, obviously Matt Reeves, the Batman hinted at the idea of hush. And if that pops up in, in live action, I'm sure it will be good because they probably will reimagine the character to work better for it. They're not going to have him working as well. I hope they're not going to have him working as, you know, somebody, somebody's lackey who's actually the mastermind. But I, I feel like this character does need to be adjusted because in recent years, the times he pops up is like he's constantly just making himself into be um, Bruce Wayne and trying to trick people into believing that he's Bruce Wayne. That's like his whole shtick now, um, at least in the appearances like over the last five years that he's popped up. I don't feel like 
there's I feel like that's over and done with. And the problem is that unless these people know who Batman is, it doesn't work anyway. So I don't understand why he keeps why that's his whole shtick. I understand that, you know, he's this awesome plastic surgeon and all of that. But I don't feel like I feel like the character needs an overhaul to be able to work in this modern day. And I'm not saying he needs to be as intelligent as the Riddler or as crazy as the Joker or as, um, you know, as, as I just feel like they need a rework. Uh, That's all I've got. So what do you guys think of Hush? I don't know. I, I echo the idea that Hush was everywhere. I remember there was an arc where like he knew what happened to like Joker's wife from the killing joke or something. That was a thing. Like he was somehow involved with that information and, you know, obviously the Catwoman stuff. I honestly feel like Hush at his most interesting was, you know, when he was trying to refashion himself after Bruce Wayne. Like I will, that's kind of where I land on that. And I think, my favorite incarnation is actually what they did in the Arkham City video game where like there's this serial killer going around cutting up people's faces and you know and he's like slowly like patching his own face together to be Bruce Wayne you know but other than that he's just I don't know the way I look at Hush now and what was going on then reminds me a lot of um what we saw with the Batman who laughs recently where it's a villain with like a cool design And there's kind of an interesting story there. You know, there's this connection to Bruce Wayne in some capacity, you know, that like people really could mine and play around with. And so you have all those things, you know, propelling this forward, trying to make it into a thing. But the more you you show him, the more diluted it gets and and the the less interesting the character was. I think the remember, I think he's popped up recently, but the last major reference I saw at Hush was uh, it was during the um, wedding that didn't happen between Batman and Catwoman where they had it was like Bachelor Night or something. I don't know. I think yeah, him, and, him of- and Nightwing fought to be uh, Bruce Wayne's like best man or something, <laughs> something yeah, okay. weird like that. And, and didn't he get like trapped in a different dimension or something at I the end of that so, book? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like they like he I don't know. I feel like they wanted him to have like A or B list potential, but now he's just kind of sitting around on like the D list, you know, he's kind of in like that box with like film freak or something. Yeah. He's very, he's very one note and he's either just going to show up and try to make Bruce Wayne's life uh, miserable. So yeah, I hope uh, that Matt Reeves, if he does, we got a little hush tease. If I'm sure he'll reimagine a different way. Cause you can't really, bring the this comic version of Tommy Elliot into the movies because there's a whole history and a whole former friendship and they grew up together and all these villains need to come up. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's strange how like comic companies kind of like DC and Marvel, they kind of like, we're not stupid as fans. Like we can kind of tell when they're kind of shoving a character down our throats and like, we'll call them out on it, but they'll continue to do it. And so I guess anything for sales, it works for a little, but then it kind of dries up like Tommy Elliott. So a couple of things. Um, it, it's interesting to me to, to hear all this, um, like from your perspectives, because for, for, for me, as someone who only started reading Batman comics, maybe like 2011, 2012. Um, so I, I'm reading this years after it has come out for the first time. 
And um, I never got the impression that Hush was supposed to be like uh, a super bad on the level of like a Joker or someone like that. Um, but it's but it's interesting because it, it does seem like that based on what you all are saying, that that was indeed DC's intention. Um, but for me, I think as far as a rework goes, I think the, the path to doing that is kind of in this story. Um, for me, the most compelling part about Hush is his personal connection with, with Bruce, like from a young age and his ability, because he, he knows him as like a childhood friend and they were family friends to sort of, um, damage him emotionally in that way that I think a lot of his other villains just, just can't do that. Um, I think it's <laughs> the new 52. I feel like they tried to do a rework of hush with another character, Lincoln March. I don't know if you all remember, uh, Lincoln March, but he kind of, he was kind of had a lot of the same, uh, traits as hush. You know, he was like supposed to be the long lost, uh, brother. Uh, it kind of looks a lot like Bruce Wayne, but then he also kind of just got abandoned. I don't think we've seen Lincoln March at all since then. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. I think that, um, Matt Reeves has something up his sleeve to, to reimagine this character. And I have some ideas about like, just based on the hint about like how that might go. And I think you all probably do too. Uh, and I think if we do see it in live action, that will probably revitalize the character and, you know, maybe bump it up to B or A list because right now it's, as you said, just C or D. And that is going to be the good and the bad of Batman Hush. Well, actually, hold on really quick. So in the hardcover, (laughs) in the 20th anniversary hardcover, like now they're on the Hush topic and like reinventing Hush. There's a little like two, three page story of Hush climbing out of like the river at the end and he's met by the Joker and Harley and it says to be continued. So I'm sure... It's a tease by Loeb to uh, bring him back. To, yeah, to bring him back, but maybe because it's not the two guys who created the character, maybe it'll be something that we that we like and less plastic surgery almost. I, uh, my comment was totally different from that. I just wanted to point out something that has changed drastically since this book came out, and that was Dr. Leslie Tompkins. She was still an old lady in this, and now they've been de-aging her, trying to dress her up, like, make her have some, like, appeal and flash, and I don't know where you guys land on that, but I'm kind of against it. (laughs) I'm against that, too. I think that she should be older, age-wise, with up there with Alfred. I think that's what makes the most sense. Um, It's interesting because... It felt like for a while they were de-aging a lot of different characters. I mean, for a good chunk of the New 52, Jim Gordon got de-aged as well. And it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But, um, but yeah, it, it uh, is interesting. But going back to the, the additional story, the to-be-continued part is kind of interesting because it makes me think that there is a plan. Uh, Jeff Loeb is back. He's not – he was – specifically working with Marvel on Marvel television projects and he's no longer working there anymore. Um, that's not to say that I honestly, like in my mind, I think to myself, what could possibly come of a to be continued from Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee? And I keep thinking to myself, nothing, absolutely nothing, because it's not possible. Not that Jeff Loeb couldn't write something. And he certainly could. Um, I don't think that's the hiccup. I think the hiccup would be Jim Lee doing art for a project 
it'd have to be a project that is not part of the main series. It would have to be something that's like a mini series or something like that, that like I joked earlier, would take years and years to complete because I just don't see how it would ever work in a normal situation for him to be on a book that's releasing, you know, like in a very short amount of time. I just don't see it unless it was done well in in advance. Um, But I will say if something did happen, despite our comments about Hush, I do feel like the book would sell really well and of course, that's what really makes a huge difference when it comes to whether or not they do projects. They just did that one shot for the long Halloween, maybe mm-hmm. it's something along those lines. Yeah, you know, where it's just going to be a very quick one and done. Uh, I, and I, I don't know if any of you uh, noticed this on on a first read, but uh, I noticed it for the first time uh, reading it um, just today. During the opera scene, there's like this incredible bit of foreshadowing. Uh, when the opera is about to start and, you know, um, Bruce and Selena are sitting in front of, uh, Tommy and Dr. Tompkins and then they're kind of talking and then, uh, Doc, uh, Hush kind of leans forward and says, Hush, you two, I don't want to have to separate you. And that's kind of like how the, the story ends. And I just never picked it up before, probably because I was too busy admiring Selena on the other panel, but, um, yeah, incredible foreshadowing. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think this is going to be the end of it now. But yes. All right. So uh, with that, that is the good and the bad of Batman Hush. Um, As mentioned, it is the 20th anniversary. There is a hardcover that released that uh, BJ mentioned has that new two to three page story uh, that happens at the end of the uh, at the end of the collection. Um, We do have a link to purchase it on Amazon if you are so inclined. Um, That is in the link in the episode description, so be sure to check that out. Um, With all of that being said, be sure to check out our website for all kinds of news, original content, reviews, other podcasts, all related to the Batman universe uh, and regarding to movies, television, video games, merchandise, comics, and everything else related to the Bat fandom. Be sure to check us out on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Discord. All of our social links can be found at the top of the page over at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can send us an email at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas for future episodes. Uh, As I mentioned in the last episode, we are going to be doing a lot more of these discussion-type episodes. I think... I'm not going to guarantee it at this point, but um, we will be doing uh, the battle, f- the battle of the Super Sons coming up here very soon, um, because that also recently released. We'll be t- discussing that animated film, and we do have some other things. Uh, we're getting closer to the holidays, so maybe again, no promises. Maybe we'll do a holiday list of things that uh, are Batman related. We did one last year; it was kind of fun, um, and we'll talk about that. Uh, kind of a merchandise update, too, on merchandise from the past year. We'll maybe group that together. But those are some ideas for some future episodes. But if you guys have some, be sure to send those in. You can also leave comments wherever you're listening to the podcast, and we do see those also. Um, outside of that, that is everything for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Batman Universe podcast, and we will see you guys next time. 